Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. Our welcoming words and a call to worship is River Call by Reverend Manish K. Mishra Marzetti. Between the rocking boat and sitting down, between stirring things up and peaceably going along, we find ourselves here in community, each called from many different journeys, many different life paths onto this river road. Some are here because the rocking of the boat has been just too much. Too much tumult. Too much uncertainty. Too much pain. Some are here with questions. About where is this boat going? How to best steer it? And where does this journey end? Others are here as lovers of the journey. Lovers of life itself. Here in front, beside, behind, each a passenger, each a captain, just doing the best we can. Rest here in your boat with me, the river calls. Listen to how I flow, the sound of life coursing all around you. Let the current hold you. Let the current guide you. The river that gently flows through your soul whispers, Come, let us worship. This morning's reading is entitled, Who Do You Think You Are? by Victoria Safford. So last Sunday, when we were all singing Amazing Grace, and we got to that bizarre moment in the first verse where our Unitarian Universalist hymn book slaps down an asterisk and a choice, what do you do? Which do you choose to sing? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, or that saved a soul like me. It probably depends on how you were feeling that day. How particularly wretched or soulful. I know of no other hymnal in print that virtually stops singing mid-measure to pull the congregation to call for a theological debate within the heart and mind of every singer. And right there, quickly, because the pianist won't wait, you have to stake your claim, make your mark, testify, all the while wondering if the person next to you will take offense if you confess at the top of your voice your own wretchedness. And even our common condition as a fallen, faulty species. Or will your neighbor be annoyed or maybe shocked if you stand there warbling about what a pleasant soul you are. What a nice, well-rounded.
blinded, fully individuated, sin-free, guilt-free, humanist soul. There you stand, frozen in time, and the music plays on while you hastily cobble a theology. We sing our song in different keys and cadences. We're on our own to make a faith out of nothing, which is to say, out of everything we have. That is daunting, lonely work, demanding and relentless work, the work of a lifetime. And I suspect it is the very scope of it that keeps our tiny movement small. Not everyone wants to stop singing in the middle of a song and consider once again, and all alone, the nature of the human soul and God, infinity without and infinity within. It's a lot to ask of people on a Sunday morning. semester of college at St. Edwards University, as I was wrapping up my seminary applications and essays that go along with them, I sat in my History of Christian Theology II class and listened to my professor give us St. Anselm's definition of theology, faith-seeking understanding. Nothing he said after that mattered at all to me because I was stuck on that definition. I raised my hand and I asked, I'm an agnostic and I don't have a firm faith in God's existence. Does this mean I can't be a theologian? Can I, can't I seek understanding without that faith? He answered a little confused. This is St. Ed's great school, very Catholic. He said, no, no, you can't. Theology is an insider's job. It has to have faith in God as the starting point. Well, needless to say, I didn't buy it. <laughs> I knew I could do theology. So I began to wonder, I must have faith in something. I have since redefined the word faith for myself, as well as the word God. Very simply put, my faith includes a belief in the power of love over hate, and my understanding of God is that God is a word used to describe, describe or poetically personify that love so that the great mystery of its power is easier for us clumsy humans with our limited language to talk about. So as a community of faith, what do we have faith in? What keeps us going? What keeps us hoping? Four years later, on my graduation day from Union Theological Seminary in New York, I was made to remember the long and difficult journey that had brought me to that day in a surprising way. As is tradition at Union, I was making my way around the seminary's two city blocks as part of the graduating procession. When all of the city noises and sounds of the procession's drummers began to fade away and the gospel song, We've Come This Far by Faith, entered my head. 
It grew louder, and I quietly began to sing to myself, Can't turn around now. We've come this far by faith. I remember this song returning to my mind once again on election night 2008. That night is now included among those moments in American history that everyone remembers where they were, what they were doing, and the emotions that were stirred inside. It didn't matter which candidate you voted for. On that night, we all stood proud to be citizens of a nation that could go from slavery to a black president in under two centuries. We have come this far by faith, perhaps a different kind of faith than is in the song, maybe not for all of us, a faith that is leaning on the Lord or trusting in his holy word, but we have faith that... As Unitarian minister Theodore Parker said in 1857, and Martin Luther King Jr. famously quoted, he did know his Unitarian theologians, the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. We have faith in our own perseverance. We have faith that love is triumphant. And we have faith in getting through the tough times together in sacred community. Things will improve because they always do. Things will get worse in some ways because they seem to always do that too. Sometimes we take a step forward as a nation just to take several back as we witnessed on that same election night with California's temporary equalization of marriage for same-gender couples, and it's all too rapid repeal in the passage of Proposition 8, which is in the news again lately as it slowly crept its way to our nation's Supreme Court. For many of us, the revelry of that night, 2008, was soon melded with the grief of knowing that The citizens of California and several other states had voted to maintain a second-class citizen status for so many loving families. It's hard to have faith in times of grief. What does it mean to have faith that equality will one day arrive when basic human rights are denied? Does it mean patience? If so, Until when and why should we be patient? If the arc of history truly is long, is our task as members of a liberal religious movement committed to social justice to have faith that it will someday bend toward justice in marriage equality and other gay rights? The answer is yes. That is where faith comes in. Faith calls us to look back and take stock, to see how far we've come, and to sing, can't turn around now, and move forward. This brand of faith is not passive. It doesn't wait for justice to magically appear one day on our doorsteps. This faith reminds us that we can't turn around now because we've come this far. It's an active faith. It's a faith that calls us to continued action, to continued discomfort, to continued dissatisfaction with confusing semantics and claims of separate but equal. 
This faith does not let us forget the ridiculousness of injustice and the impact that inequality has on people's daily lives. This faith reminds us that the in-due-time argument was used and still is to pacify women and people of color as well throughout history each time we've demanded equal rights. It has been said that justice delayed is justice denied. And many gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender activists have interpreted President Obama's admitted delay of addressing all of the campaign promises to this constituency as a denial of justice. Saturday Night Live even satirized Obama for his lack of accomplishing in his first year all that he promised on the, that first campaign trail. Others, such as Joe Solomonese of the Human Rights Campaign, have stated recognition that Obama has shown more support and stated more commitment to ending LGBT discrimination than any other president in history. Obama has come out of the closet as an LGBT ally, affirming that we will, quote, see a time in which we as a nation finally recognize relationships between two men and two women as real and admirable as relationships between a man and a woman. We all know about our president's recent evolution on the issue of gay marriage. Whether it was a calculated political strategy or a true change of heart, it's better late than never to be able to witness a sitting president who, one week ago, filed a Supreme Court brief which challenges the constitutionality of California's Prop 8. <laughs> who knows? We may soon see the end of the Discriminatory Defense of Marriage Act. Bishop John Shelby Spong of the Episcopal Church in America once gave a riveting sermon in which my vocabulary I would call fierce, meaning <laughs> gutsy and laudable and just plain cool. His sermon, entitled, A Manifesto, The Time Has Come, is a personal declaration that Bishop Spong will no longer engage with homophobic conservatives making absurd statements and propositions in the name of Jesus and in the name of democracy. He calls out the Archbishop of Canterbury, the recently former Pope, the Third World Church leaders, televangelists, unbalanced media, those who would break away to form a gay-free Episcopal Church, and others declaring that he will no longer engage them in their hatred just as he does not debate any longer with members of the Flat Earth Society. His reason for this declaration, he says, is because it's time to move on. The battle is over. The victory has been won. There is no reasonable doubt as to what the final outcome of this struggle will be. Upon reading his sermon, my first inkling was to shout amen, but then I realized that what was drawing me in was 
joy in which witnessing such righteous anger coming from high-ranking clergy, Christian clergy. But it wasn't his argument. For a moment, I became swept up in that same lie that has been told for ages that seduces us to believe that the battle is over, that victory has been won, mission accomplished. Remember that? Not so fast, Bishop Spong. Kudos for your passion and understanding the message of Jesus, but we must engage with others who hold on to bigotry. This is the painful aspect of democracy, the responsibility of democracy. The battle has not yet been won. I didn't get the memo. The myth that it has is equivalent to the myth that we live in a post-racial society, whatever that is. I know that's a lie because otherwise all of the daily incidents of racism that I either encounter personally or witness as a woman of color, blatant or otherwise, yes, even here in Austin, occur because someone didn't get that memo that racism is so 2008. It's just not true. Bigotry in all of its forms is like a cockroach. It doesn't die easily. Especially when we all have so much unlearning to do. We're charged by our sense of what is right, our patriotism, and our own fifth principle to have the understanding that being part of a democracy means that we have the social responsibility to take a stand, not just wait around for the lawmakers to hash out the arguments amongst themselves. All of our families must be visible. If we want our voices heard, we must continue to engage those who would bar us and our loved ones from leading happy and secure lives. Humanist author Kurt Vonnegut once wrote, There is no reason why good cannot triumph over evil, or as often as evil, excuse me. The triumph of anything is a matter of organization. If there are such a thing as angels, I hope that they are organized along the lines of the mafia. This is a hugely important year here in Texas. I am proudly Puratejana, a Texan born and raised, and I have never seen, nor did I ever think I would live to see, the day when there would be so many pro-LGBT rights bills introduced during a Texas legislative session than there are anti-LGBT bills introduced. Tomorrow, I will join hundreds of justice-loving people from all around the state in lobbying for bills that would create laws to prohibit employment and insurance discrimination, strike down the ridiculous sodomy law that the Supreme Court declared unconstitutional but that Texas has clung to, one that would allow for same-sex second-parent adoption, something that's prohibited here in our state, and one that would allow for civil unions right here in Texas, and another that was 
the civil unions rep was one-upped by the marriage equality bill proposed by another rep. Can you imagine? Today, I expect to see all of you who are able to join the crowds who will gather to march on the Capitol at 5.30 p.m. in support of these bills and the brave representatives who have proposed them. I'll see you there. It's come to my attention also recently that um, some of you may not be aware of this, although it's, it's so second nature ridiculous to me because I've been out since age 16, but I should tell you now that you'd be marching for me and my family as well because I am a, a lesbian, an out lesbian in a committed, wonderful relationship. So come on out. I'm using as inspiration this morning one of my favorite gospel songs, We've Come This Far by Faith. From the way that some of the reporting immediately after Prop 8's passage was carried out, one would think that conservative black Christian churches were nearly solely to blame. When in reality, they comprised only 7% of the voting population in California that year. Last May, the NAACP, which has a largely Christian-identified membership, issued a statement of support for same-sex marriage. This example illustrates both the myth that bigotry is dead and buried, for the finger-pointing was motivated by racism, there's no doubt about that, and the myth that we need not engage with our opponents. I wonder what the outcome would have been had we engaged with, the, with conservative Christian hearts of all ethnicities and all levels of church leadership, but especially in communities of color, which are often, too often, rendered invisible. What would this world be like if we engaged? Well, the good news and the bad news is the fight is far from over. We have ample opportunity to learn from one another yet. I have often wondered when listening to the amount of faith, hope, and determination present in freedom songs and gospel music, how can a people who endured the horrors of the Middle Passage and slavery, followed by Reconstruction, Segregation, Jim Crow, and continued, today, continued systematic oppression, a history in this country that makes Guantanamo Bay look like Disneyland, how can they sing, we've come this far by faith, trusting in the Lord, he's never failed me yet? A dignified survival necessitates living in faithful community. There is so much to learn from one another. We must reach out because as a people who have come this far by faith, we know that Bishop Spong was correct when he said, there is no reasonable doubt as to what the final outcome of this struggle will be. The arc of history will bend toward justice. Earlier I mentioned that this understanding, this faith, requires in us both patience and constant action. Well, that doesn't seem to make much sense, does it? 
Those sound like opposing stances. We often think of patience as sitting still. Que sera, sera. And constant action as well, just that. Constant action. But it's in holding these two intention. The patient assurance and the never sitting still or keeping quiet, which gives us faith. This tension is called struggle or la lucha, as we call it as well. And we're blessed to be in this struggle together. How awesome. It's so painful to struggle alone. And for those among us who've been struggling for long, it becomes tiresome and lonely. This, this congregation has a great history of faithfully struggling in community on many issues of injustice. So here we sit, much like the mythical Sankofa bird of West Africa, who looks backward to the past while continuing to fly forward into the future. We are both aware of the trials and blessings of the continued struggle as we remind ourselves we can't turn around now. We've come this far by faith. Let us read together in unison. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.